Hi, this is episode 56 of K. Ray Reads to You. Today we have chapter 6 of The Apple Stone by Nicholas Stewart Gray. Chapter 6 is called The Feathered Serpent. At about half past eleven the next morning, I got one of the biggest shocks of my life. Our form master was in the middle of a spirited account of the repeal of the Corn Laws in 1842. Never, to my mind, a very enthralling subject, and, on this occasion, made even more obscure by the lecturer having a bad cold. "'Sir Robert Peel made a speech!' he said, and sneezed. "'Excuse me, where were we? Oh, yes. Peel introduced a sliding scale.' My mind was wandering. I saw a long, sliding, scaly creature slithering through the House of Commons, with Peel holding the end of a ribbon around its neck, and saying he wanted everyone to meet a friend of his. And a small, folded bit of paper was pushed under my hand by the boy who sat next to me. I looked at it vaguely. On it was written, "'Get this to Jeremy Westray, quick!' I opened it, and found it was a note from Douglas. He, being younger, was in a lower form than mine, and he must have arranged for various people to pass it along until it reached me. I read it. That was when the shock happened. "'Dear Jeremy, all is lost. Nigel's got the apple-stone. He's gone mad at last. He's done all those tropical butterflies from the library and let them out. Gert Jan announced they'd been stolen, and Nigel confessed, and now he's in trouble because he won't give them back. Yours sincerely, Douglas.' Gert Jan was Mr. Ridd, our headmaster. I groaned. "'Yes, Westray,' said the form-master. "'You have some views, I take it, on Peel's program of fiscal reform?' "'Er,' I said. "'I'm sure we'll all be pleased to hear them.' The rest of the form smirked at me. "'Peel?' I said. "'Yes, well, all those coppers, peelers, policemen—' "'Do go on,' said old Jones, smoothly. "'They should have stopped it,' I said. "'Stopped what, Westray?' "'The—the—that thing sliding about in the house.' "'I'll tell you something,' said Jones. "'You will remain in school this afternoon "'until you have copied out the chapter in your history book "'with which we've been dealing during your mental absence "'for the last quarter of an hour.' "'And he sneezed violently.' "'Bless you,' I said. "'You will copy it twice,' said he, "'once to assist our efforts to educate you, "'and once for impertinence. "'Now, if I have your full attention—' "'Taking this for granted, he went on with the corn laws. "'But my attention was elsewhere. "'To this day I don't know how Peel got mixed up with the farmers. "'I was wondering mostly just what Nigel had told Gert Jan.' "'Confessed,' was the word used by Douglas. "'Confessed what? "'Had he told about the apple-stone? "'If so, he was probably on his way to a mental specialist. "'Mr. Ridd would take a fairly dim view of magic, I felt. "'Westray,' said the old Jones, "'are you coming down with anything?' "'Yes, sir,' I said. "'A nervous breakdown.' The bell rang for the end of class, in time to save me some of his slurs on my character, but I went through the geography class that followed in a sort of trance. I usually did, so there were no special recriminations. 
I managed to collar Douglas as we went into the hall for lunch. He said it was no good blaming him. I told him not to fool around, said he. I told him to leave the stupid butterflies alone. They're dead and forbidden. If he'd done the hand grenade that Roberts has for a paperweight. I shook him. I said, How had Nigel got the apple stone? He said Joe must have dropped it. Nigel had picked it up off the garden path at home as we left. He was in one of his crazier moods, said my cousin. I couldn't do a thing with him. I would have handed it over to you. He said virtuously. No, you wouldn't. You'd have blown up the whole place with a hand grenade. Where's Nigel now? I couldn't see the red hair of the Campbell anywhere, and Douglas said he was in solitary confinement. I said, Good. Then I thought of something that gave me another serious shock. Has he still got the stone? I suppose so. I ate very little. Afterward, I was called aside by one of the younger masters, who asked if I had any influence over Nigel. I said bitterly that no one had much except his father, who was rather far away to be much use. He said I'd better come and see my cousin all the same, as he was behaving very oddly. I said, Was that unusual? He said it was more unusual than usual. I was taken to Nigel's prison. He seemed very comfortable there. In the headmaster's study, with large easy chairs and a big desk with a tray on it, Nigel looked contented with his lot. He was lounging in one chair with his feet on another, and had obviously just finished a satisfying meal. He sat up a bit when we came in, and the master said in a doom laden voice, Campbell, I have brought your cousin. Nigel said hello. Being then requested to stand, he did so. The master said he would leave us together. Nigel thanked him, and he went off looking rather soured. Nigel sat down again. I said, What have they booked you for, theft or lying? Both, said he. Look here, did you tell them? I only said I'd taken the butterflies, and they will want me to give them back. But I don't know where they are, Jeremy. I mean, they're on their own now. They might be anywhere. I started to say what had possessed him, but stopped. What was the use? Even Nigel didn't know what possessed him at times. You broke our agreement, I told him angrily. We promised each other not to use the stone unless we were all together and fully consulted. You're a sneaking, lying, disloyal, selfish, vile, rotten swine. Yes, said he. That brought me up in mid harangue. Instead of enlarging on my theme, I merely ordered him to hand over the apple stone. He did so without a word. As I went to the door, he put his feet on the desk and said casually, I told them I took the butterflies for you. Because you like butterflies, I told them. I said I'd given them to you. As I gaped at him, he hurried on. I said you'd bring them back tomorrow. You'll have to th think of something, Jeremy, or I'll b be expelled. I said nothing would please me more, but outside the door the full implication of my cousin's remarks hit me. I nearly went back and hit him. How could anyone be sure of returning the things? They might be eaten by birds. They might die of cold. They were tropical butterflies. They might. The young master was waiting for me, and he asked if Nigel seemed repentant. I said, not noticeably. Then I gabbled a bit, and said he didn't show it, but was probably filled with shame and sorrow. 
"'Well, he can stay there until after school,' said the master, "'and we'll see what Mr. Ridd makes of him then. "'We mustn't take it all too seriously, Westray, you know, "'so stop frowning. Don't look so desperate. "'Campbell's fond of you in his way.' "'I said I was utterly unfond of him. "'He said I was over-harsh, "'though he did admit that Nigel had behaved very badly.' "'It wasn't a real case of theft, though,' said he. "'Just normal wickedness. "'It'll all blow over when you bring the wretched things back, "'and the head will handle Master Campbell.' "'I said good luck to him, and the master went off laughing, "'but I felt a pang of sympathy for Mr. Ridd. "'He would get little change from my cousin, I feared. "'I went dismally to the long and wretched afternoon that lay ahead, "'trying to concentrate on lessons,' "'while worrying myself into suppressed hysteria. "'The apple-stone lay in my pocket, "'in its silk bag on the broken gold chain, "'which must have been too fragile for the weight of the stone. "'I wondered if Joe would discover she'd lost it, and go mad. "'Halfway through the afternoon I heard a distant muffled uproar "'somewhere in the school. "'Later on another note found its way to me by devious channels. "'It said, "'Dear Westray, your cousin MacDonald has been sent to join Campbell "'for deliberately pouring two pints of ink on the storeroom floor. "'What funny relations you have! Yours, Arthur Roper.' "'I didn't know Roper very well, but thought we had ideas in common. "'What with one thing and another, it was an hour later than usual "'when my cousins and I got off the bus at our village stop. "'We were all subdued.' I, from nerves and writer's cramp, and the others because I wouldn't speak to them. Douglas said, as we went toward the house, "'One of those butterflies came past the window, about seven inches across, and bright yellow.' W "'Was it all right?' said Nigel. "'There was a magpie on its tail, so I don't—' He caught my eye and shut up. After tea we held a court-martial, but nothing would make Nigel say he was sorry.' After being nagged for a while, he turned extremely sulky and marched out of the room, taking Ragnar with him, and shut his bedroom door and wouldn't open it, even to Douglas, who shared it with him. I was furious still, and Joe was miserable, as he'd blamed her for the whole affair, saying she'd been careless with the stone. Missy was red with rage because of what he'd said to Joe, and Douglas had so confused himself by the number of times he'd changed sides that he was now utterly silent." I looked around at them and said, "'We ought to let the stone go. We're just not the right people to have it.' This roused them. "'Oh, Jeremy,' said Missy, "'don't be beastly. I hate it when you get cross. You don't often get cross, only worried.' I said this time I was cross and worried. Joe said, "'Would I feel better if I kept the apple stone myself?' I said I certainly didn't intend to let anyone else keep it after today's performances.' She looked tearful, and said, "'Was I blaming her, too?' I said it was a bit silly to put the stone on such a feeble chain. She said it had seemed strong enough. The stone must be heavier than we'd thought. Then she went to a big hamper that stood in the corner of the largest attic, and she opened it and started to rummage inside, saying she knew where to find something stronger. We kept all sorts of things in that hamper—costumes, for when we acted, stuff that Mom and Dad had given us or made for us— "'and things that we had made or found for ourselves. "'Missy ran to help. "'After a minute or two my sisters forgot to be angry or depressed. "'They kept finding things that reminded them of funny happenings. "'I watched, sitting moodily at the table, with my chin on my fists. 
Douglas kept out of it as long as he could, then he gave a piercing yell and dived straight into the hamper. It fell over, and everything poured out on the floor, including Douglas, who fell on Missy. "'You horrible boy!' she shrieked, struggling with yards of bunting that had wound itself around her. "'Oh, look!' she added. "'Here are the flags we put up for Jeremy's birthday.' I softened slightly. Douglas had climbed onto the roof to attach one end of the string there. It had been a nice gesture, even though he had managed to do something to the television aerial that had never been remedied. "'And here's what I was looking for,' exclaimed Joe. She dropped to her knees and began to sort out a great cluster of oddments, beads and necklaces and buckles and brooches, some of painted wood and some made of cardboard. Some were tin and glass, the sort of thing you buy in the Woolworths. They were all tangled together in a bundle. "'I know there was quite a nice gilt chain,' my sister said. Missy had draped herself in a black woolen shawl, and she now put a cardboard crown on her head. It was far too big, and only her nose stopped it from becoming a collar. Then she stooped and drew from the jumbled costumes a long, grey, draggled feather boa. It went twice around her neck and trailed on the floor on either side. She looked ghastly. Douglas had found a sword in a sling which he hung across his shoulder, and a trumpet that only gave a hoarse wheeze, however hard he blew. And Joe managed to disentangle the gilt chain. She held it up for me to see. "'Throw over the stone, and I'll attach it,' she called. Afterward, she said she hadn't meant this literally, but I was tired, and she was never very good at catching things. The apple stone fell, and the bag opened, and out it rolled.' Missy screamed at the top of her lungs. She dragged off the feather boa and hurled it away from her. One end landed on the floor, but the rest stayed in the air, rearing a horrible head to stare at us with red and unblinking eyes. It was about nine feet long, and as thick as a bolster. The feathers were spikier and shinier, and pure white. It writhed slowly all the time, and the head swayed from side to side like— like, like the snake it had become, the giant feathered snake. Douglas stayed quite still, with the trumpet in his mouth. Joe stayed quite still, with both hands over hers. I stayed quite still, with my heart in mine, and Missy began to cry. Sssss, whispered the snake, softly and hissingly. Oh, wailed Missy. She took a step toward Joe, and its hideous head flashed up and hung over her. "'Stop!' it said. She stopped, with a startled sob. No one moved. The creature went on swaying, with its tail on the floor, and its head weaving slowly from side to side. Then it said, "'You summoned me. I have come, as once I came up out of the deep waters to bring knowledge and life and death.' "'to the Aztec people. "'Give me thanks. "'Give me praise.' "'I tried a few times and finally managed to say, "'What are you?' "'It said, "'I am Quetzalcoatl.' "'I said, wouldn't you know, "'and Joe said feebly perhaps it would like to go to sleep or something. "'It said, "'Sacrifice.' High above Missy, the ghastly head was hovering, 
while she stood rigid with terror, the crown low over her ears, the awful black shawl slipping off her, and the tears drying on her face because she was now too frightened to cry. And suddenly Joe managed to get to her in one movement and put her arms around her. They stared at the serpent in equal terror. I was struggling to remember what I'd ever heard or read about the ancient civilization of the Aztecs. Nothing much came to me, but that little was far from comforting. The altars to the sun, the endless sacrifices. The snake lowered its head a little and started to glide around the room. I wondered if we could get to the door. No, not all of us. It moved so quickly. It thrust its blunt head into corners and under tables and chairs, and it sounded like dry leaves blowing about the floor. My mouth was so dry that I couldn't speak until I'd swallowed desperately a few times. Then I croaked, "'What... what sort of... sacrifice do you want?' It was close to me. It reared up and then lowered its head to stare into my face. I tried to recoil, but I found I could hardly move a muscle.' "'Why ask?' it whispered. "'You know well, and speak my name. "'Speak my sacred name.' Er, I couldn't remember. "'Quetzalcoatl,' said Joe thinly. "'Even in my stupor I admired her. "'The snake seemed delighted and spun around and around "'in a sort of whirling, gyrating dance.' It looked so gruesome that I tried to avert my eyes, and couldn't, and through the rippling and rattling of the stiff white plumes I saw the faces of my sisters. I saw Douglas, and I tried to yell at him to keep still, but my mouth wasn't working properly, and no sound came. He had drawn his sword. It was a real one, a nineteenth-century cavalry sabre. It was far too big for Douglas, but he didn't care. He had gone wild with rage, quite suddenly, as he can. He lifted the sword and leaped forward with a yell, and the snake swirled around and over him. I gave a strangled grunt. It meant farewell to my cousin, and that I wished I hadn't said some of the things to him this afternoon that I had said. Then the serpent was back in the center of the room, dancing its circling patterns around the floor. Its eyes gleamed more redly, and its stiff feathers stood out all over it, and Douglas was standing with one foot lifted, the sword above his head, and staring at the snake without expression at all, and without blinking. "'What have you done to him?' gasped Joe. The snake went on circling, but its forked tongue flickered in its open mouth. A few drops of saliva fell, and the wooden planks of the attic floor turned white, as though some frightful acid had soaked them. "'Sacrifice!' whispered the serpent. It was at the far end of the room, and suddenly it stayed still there, gaping fixedly into the open door of the toy cupboard, its red eyes level with the top shelf. It gave a long hiss, and something hissed back. "'Oh, no,' said Joe, "'not Mrs. Blossom.' And to my surprise I found myself moving. Between the cupboard and the snake I said, "'Leave the cats alone.' and I hauled handfuls of toys from the lower shelves and threw them on the floor at the serpent's feet, if you see what I mean. It ignored the broken railway engine and the building sets. It drew back slightly from the jumping rope until it decided this wasn't a rival. It didn't even glance at the assorted ducks, rabbits, teddy bears, and gollywogs, and me. Whoops. <laughs> Turn the page there in the middle of a word. 
It didn't even glance at the assorted ducks, rabbits, teddy bears, and gollywogs, and mechanical devices, but it gave a high scream of triumph when it saw the doll. This was a large, pink creature that someone had once given to Missy. She loathed it, and the only time it ever came in for any attention was when it got cast as a crowd or a prince in the tower. Yes, snickered the serpent. Yes, the child. Slay me the child. And Missy rushed and snatched up the doll. She glared furiously at Quetzalcoatl. No, she shrieked. You can't have Wodge. She's mine. Into the silence, the doll gave a thin squeak of Mama. That thing is not living, hissed the snake. No, but you shan't kill it, said Missy. I'll have a living child, whispered Quetzalcoatl. Then Joe caught hold of our little sister and tried to pull her away. The serpent turned its gaze on her, and she stood as rigid as Douglas, with eyes as blank and staring. Come now, child, said the snake. Come here to me. To my horror, Missy took a stiff pace toward it. Don't, I croaked. The creature went all around the floor in a wide, swift circle, and then stayed still, head high, quivering. Its mouth was wide open, showing huge teeth, and the tongue flicking in and out. Missy took another step. I couldn't move at all. I seemed to be wound in a tangle of invisible threads. My hands and feet were held fast. I couldn't speak. Through my mind ran visions of the great altars of the Aztecs, the hearts laid bare by the stone knives, the children tied there before the god of the sun, god of the waters, the plumed serpent, Quetzalcoatl. Missy took another jerky pace toward it. I saw no more. Stillness and silence and darkness came down on me. It might have been a century later that I stirred and groaned and found myself in the attic, the old familiar attic. I saw the furious face of Mrs. Blossom staring from the top shelf of the cupboard, the jumbled pile of costumes, the heap of toys, the overturned hamper. And there were my sisters, white and shaking, and holding each other's hands. There was Douglas, and the crash as he dropped his sword. Then all our eyes went to the serpent, the feather boa, lying grey and dirty, and crumpled on the floor. No one went to pick it up. As I shut the door firmly behind us, Joe said under her breath, "'But our eyes were all wide open.' "'Their senses were shut,' I said, remembering Lady Macbeth. "'Does that count as the same thing?' "'The Applestone must have arranged that it did.' "'What about Nigel?' said Douglas. "'He wasn't even there.' We found him on his bed, fully dressed and fast asleep, with Ragnar sitting uneasily by his side." We all surveyed him rather thoughtfully. "'We're going to have a job explaining,' said Douglas. "'He won't like it.' "'We'll have to let up a bit, nagging him for what he did,' said Joe. "'Why?' I asked. "'Ours was an accident. He did what he did on purpose.' "'He still won't like it,' pursued Douglas. "'He'll manage to make us all feel guilty and treacherous for using the stone behind his back.' "'After his performance?' I said. "'How could he?' He not only could, he did. Next day, all the butterflies were back, unharmed, in their glass case. It was some consolation. And that's the end of chapter six. I'll see you next time.